Matthew chapter 25, if you will. I want to preach on the subject today, what would Jesus do with you? What would Jesus do with you? Matthew 25, verse number 31, and down through verse number 46. The Bible says there in verse number 31, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And before Him shall be gathered all nations. He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. He shall set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered, and ye fed me, or gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we uh, thee a hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink. When saw we, when we saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee, or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee, and the king shall answer, and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, insomuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was a hungered, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, I did not minister unto thee. Then shall he answer them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch you did it not to the one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Now I want you to look at that last verse there that I read. The word everlasting is used there for the wicked, for those that are unsaved. Now I was raised in a church and done some preaching before I began to realize that what everlasting and eternal meant. And so I want to share something with you. The word everlasting means there's no end. So if you're here today and you are not saved or you're listening online and you're not a Christian and you die, you will go to hell. I wish I could say for a week or a month or a year or a decade, but no, you'll be there forevermore until judgment day. And I'll get into that a little later on in the message and then you'll be cast into the lake of fire. However, notice there in the last part of verse number 46, but the righteous into life eternal. And that's the great part I like right there. Because eternal means the same thing as everlasting. If you go to John 3, 15, he talks about eternal life. John 3, 16 says everlasting life. They mean exactly the same thing. And so if you're saved today and you should die, and you will someday, it's point that a man wants to die, and after this to judgment, then you will go to heaven and be there forever. My, oh my, if we could just have a just small vision of what Paul got on the road there to Damascus. Wouldn't it be great? Pray with me, if you will, today. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the message today. Lord, we're so thankful for the good singing. Unlike the pastor said, why do we deserve this? Why do we deserve all these young people that willing to get up and sing uh, to the top of their voices and sing with the, to the top of their hearts? And bring honor and glory to you. We don't deserve it, God. We don't deserve anything. The only thing I deserve is hell. 
But I'm thankful for salvation today. I'm thankful, Lord, that you reached down one night down to the low country church. Probably very few people there, but you touched my heart. Convicted me of sin. And I came to that old altar and I got saved. I thank you for that, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What would Jesus do with you? Sometimes people say, come on, it's not the end of the world. Well, we don't know that for sure. It may be close to being the end of the world. Jesus here in this scripture is showing his disciples the signs of the end times. And we find ourselves now living in the last days. I sung a song uh, years ago with a, a quartet. It goes, troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedom we all hold dear now is at stake. Humbling our hearts to God, safe from the chastening rod, seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians awake. And then the chorus is, Jesus is coming soon. Morning or many will meet their doom. Uh, trumpets will sound. All the dead shall rise. Righteous meet in the skies. Going where no one dies, heavenward bound. I don't know about you, but as a believer, we're living in exciting times. Because we could be very, be, very much be the generation that is still walking this earth when Jesus returns. And I tell you, that's exciting. But we don't need to run around with headline hysteria. We need to be working for God. We must simply look up, the Bible says, for our redemption draweth nigh. Now here in Matthew 25, Jesus talks about separating the sheep from the goats. I'm not going to preach on what would Jesus do. What would Jesus do with you when that time comes? Are you going to be separated with the sheep on the right? Are you going to be separated with the goats on the left? What you do with him in this life determines what he has to do with you in the next life. Notice here in verse 31, we see the coming of the sovereign. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. I want you to imagine today Jesus sitting there on his glory throne. You say, Brother Danny, do you believe that's where he's at? I absolutely do. You say, well, why does he allow evil? Well, one day he'll take care of all the evil things that's happening in this world. But everything seems to be going wrong, but he's still on the throne. And one day he'll stand up and come down, and that day will rise up and bow down to him. Now, notice there the judgment that's written there in verses 32 and 34. And before him shall be gathered all nations. He shall separate them one from another as the shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Verse 34, then shall the king say unto them on the right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This judgment was also written in the book of Joel. Joel chapter 3 and verse 2. He said, I will also gather all nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. And then in verse number 12 of Joel chapter 3, it said, let, let the heathen be awakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I set to judge all the heathen round about. Now, I want to say this here. One day we'll all stand before God and be judged. Now, I want to uh, go ahead and t explain that. If you're not saved, then you'll be judged for your sins at the great white throne judgment. After you're judged for your sins, you'll be taken and cast, the Bible says, C-A-S-T. That means that somebody's going to take you and cast you. It's like casting away the basketball if you were playing basketball or, or throwing the baseball away. The Bible says they'll cast you into the lake of fire. I can't even imagine a lake of fire. I remember one time I saw a, a film of a ship that had, uh, full of oil and that sheep caught on, uh, ship caught on fire. And it just burned and burned and burned and burned and burned until there's hardly nothing left. And I thought, you know, a lot of people think that when you go to hell, you're going to be annihilated. That's not true. 
There's not one iota of scripture in God's word that says that uh, that's going to happen. So let the heathen be awakened, come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, verse 12. For there will I set to judge all the heathen round about. So we'll stand before God and be judged one day. If you're not saved, you'll go to the right throne judgment. If you are saved, when Jesus comes back, your sins are already forgiven. God paid for them with His blood of His Son upon the cross of Calvary. But we'll be judged for our service at the judgment seat of Christ. I think that's the time we'll know what we could have done and should have done had we been more dedicated to Jesus Christ. I believe we'll understand more about it in that day. Most of our leaders of this nation had the opinion that Jesus was nothing but a man. He was just a man. Let me tell you, he was the God-man. Most of our leaders in this nation hate Jesus with a passion. The pastor mentioned that in Sunday school. But they hate him with a passion. Anything Jesus is for, anything the Bible is for, they show us that they are against it. Jesus is for life. Abortion is death. Death of an unborn child. And, And abortion takes the life that God has given. Jesus is for marriage. Many people today loathe the fact of a man marrying a woman. I can't think of anything else. They hate God-ordained marriage, but they endorse same-sex marriage. They endorse trial marriage or shacking up. They endorse anything that's ungodly and anything that's evil except what God has mentioned in His Word that's all right. Jesus said the marriage between a man and woman is good. And so God blesses that marriage. Jesus made them male and female, the Bible said. Today, many want to be able to choose whether they're a boy or a girl. I cannot think, imagine how, where I would be today had I walked up to my dad, and you had to know him, okay? I say, Dad, today I want to identify myself as a girl. I'd still be trying to wake up. Amen. He'd have knocked me into next week, Dean. Amen. He'd have took me and slapped me around and said, Son, what in God's green earth has happened to you? You're a boy. You're a male. You're not a female. I've got two sisters that's females. I've got a brother that's a male. He said, what's wrong with you? What's happened to you? Well, thank God we weren't indoctrinated that way back in those days. But I tell you, you that are, have your children in the godless education system we have in this nation need to wake up. I remember I woke up years ago and our daughter Marie was uh, going to school over here. She was in the eighth grade. She had a dental appointment. She had been had a lot, of, a lot of dental problems, and I had a dental appointment. I went to pick her up, and they were just running around the room chasing one another. I said, what are you, it's a recess? Oh, no. She said, it's math. Right. Exactly right. Huh? Yep. Math? Exactly right. What do you mean, math? Math. You, math? What are you doing, counting the people you catch? Yeah. yeah. You know what I did? This school wasn't here then. I took her out of there and sent her to Mountain Grove, Christian school. And when this school started, we come up here to this school. She graduated from here. Listen, I, I'm, not, I'm not the brightest knife in the drawer, okay? But I know a math class shouldn't have people up running around, come on. you know, Amen. acting stupid yeah. and not learning anything. Yeah. That's why today the people that are graduating from schools can't fill out a resume. Yep. They can't add a column of figures. God help us. Parents, wake up now. You say, well, preacher, I don't like that. Devil don't either. So classify yourself. But that's society we live in. Evil to the core. What would your parents have done had you went to them and said, I'm going to identify myself as the opposite sex? Probably like my dad. 
you've probably been trying to wake up. So we see, first of all, the coming of the sovereign there in the first verses. Verse 32, we see the gathered masses. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. A sheep is a picture of God's saved people. In the Bible days, it was not uncommon for sheep and goats to be together. But when they got ready to be sold, they were separated. The sheep were put in one way and the goats were separated on the, on the other side. In Psalms 100, verse number 3, the Bible says, We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. We're not goats if you're saved, all right? You can be an old goat if you want to. I mean, some people I thought were goats. Acted like they were old goats. But goats are a picture of the lost, those who have not been saved. Devil worship still uses the symbol of a goat. So be careful what you what you say you are, okay? Today we put people in categories of our own making, the rich and the poor, the smart and the dumb, black and white. But in God's eyes, there's only one division among men, saved or lost, sheep or goats. And that's it. Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. You, you uh, gather with me or you scatter abroad. You're a believer or an unbeliever. You're bound for heaven or bound for hell. Now today, the saved and the lost are mixed together. You work together, you go shop together. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, we're not we're not separated yet. You live in the same neighborhood, but one day soon a separation is coming. But what a day that will be when the, my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one that saved me by his grace. Then he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. Let me ask you something. Will you be one of the sheep or will you be one of the goats and be left behind? I'm glad I know which pasture I'm in. I'm glad I know that I'm a sheep. You say, well, Brother Danny, I'm a Baptist. Well, somebody asked me one time, how many Baptists are they? Well, I said probably 57 varieties. But actually, there's two. Just like there's two Methodists, two, two classes of Methodists, and two classes of Episcopalian, two classes of Assembly of God, saved and the lost. There's two. You put whatever label you want to on you. But you better have the label of Christianity on you, which you better have. One man said, I was a Baptist born and Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. <laughs> I don't want to be Baptist dead. I want to be Christian dead. <laughs> All right? Some of them are sheep and some are old goats. You can't tell the difference. And we can't judge and we don't sit on the throne. But God's job is to judge who is saved and who's not. Now, you can fool me. You might be able to fool the pastor. You might be able to fool everyone else, but you can't fool God. When God separates the sheep from the goats, you won't be able to pull the wool over his eyes. We see the coming of the sovereign. We see the, the celebration of the saints. Notice there in verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is the invitation of salvation we need to remember. God, all through His Word, had been inviting mankind to come to Him. I thought about Adam and Eve, and you know what they did when, after they disobeyed God and plunged us all into sin? They didn't run to God and say, God, I've sinned. Here I am, God, I've done wrong. They hid. They ran and they hid. What people trying to do today? Hide their sin. Oh, I tell you, they're trying to hide that sin. Many of the churches are trying to bring God down to man's level. But the invitation has always been for man to come to God. God has already come to us because we couldn't get to Him. But now, till the blood of Jesus on the cross, we can come. And the ball is in our court. I used to sing a song that says, When I could not come to him where He was, He came to me. 
He came to me. You didn't go to him. You said, well, our people say, well, I, I'm trying to find the Lord. The Lord's not lost. You are. Okay. So just, just remember that, that you're not seeking him. I know the Bible says in, in Psalms uh, chapter 56, that seeking the Lord while he may be found, calling upon his near. But he's not the one that's lost. Genesis 7 verse 1 talks about Noah and his family, telling them to come into the ark of safety. And the Lord said unto Noah, Genesis 7 verse 1, Come thou and all thy house unto the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. I don't know how many people was on the earth at, at that time. I want you to think about this. There was Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives. What's that, eight people? Eight righteous people on this earth. What how many they are today? I believe there's much more than eight. I really do. I think there's I think there's more people righteous than what we think sometimes. I think one of the things that we surprise when we get to heaven is who's there and who's not there. But listen to me. He said, Come into the ark, come down all thy house into the ark. And he wanted them to come in there for safety. God used Isaiah to invite people to come to the place of cleansing. Isaiah 1 verse 18, Come now and let us reason together. Saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Jesus invited people to come to the place for rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto all your labor, labor heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus has given invitation. If you come today, you be, won't be answering my invitation. You'll be answering the invitation that Jesus has given to you. Come today and enjoy safety, cleansing, and rest. Now, I want to ask you probably the most important question you've ever been asked. What do you have on earth that you would trade to go to hell for? Think about that. What do you have on this earth that you would trade to go to hell for? Is there any person you would go to hell for? I love my family. I've got one wife that's in heaven today. God gave me another godly wife, Ramona. I love her. I love my daughter. I love my grandchildren. I love my great-grandchildren. But I wouldn't go to hell for them. I'd tell them about Jesus. Try to keep them out of that terrible place. What about, would you go to hell for money? What if there was some way that they could bring all the money of the world and dump it at your feet? Would you trade that? What would you do with the money if you was in hell? Huh? Okay, buy your way out. There are no exit signs there. Would you go to hell for land or property? Years ago, one thing I wanted was more land, more land, more land. Then I got to where I couldn't take care of the land I had. Had a hard bunch of the work done. Then my first wife got sick, and more sick and sicker. I don't know what's right language-wise, more sick or sicker. But anyway, as years went by, she got worse and worse with her health. And finally, God took her home, so I had to get rid of some of the land. Is there anything on earth that you had that would make an eternity in hell worth it? Absolutely not. Nothing. A million times no. You see, there's no exit doors in hell. You come into church, churches and buildings sometimes, and you'll see a door that says exit here. You won't see that in hell. You get there, you won't get out. At our last breath, those that are unsaved will go to hell. Those that are saved on their last breath will go to heaven. There's no redos. Isaiah 55 verse 6 says, seek the, seek the Lord while He may be found. Call you upon Him while He's near. Come and be saved today. Notice verse 34 there, talking about the celebration of the, of the saved. Come, inherit the kingdom. 
Then it says, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That means long before you were born, long before God had you in his heart, he loved you before you came into existence. God says to you today, come to me, so don't choose to go to hell. Matthew 25, 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. If you don't follow Jesus by default, you're a follower of the devil. Did you get what I said? If you don't follow Jesus, who's our Lord and Savior, then by default, you're a follower of the devil. And if you insist on following the devil, then you will follow him to his ultimate demise. That means you'll end up in hell and will be against God's will. If you hear this message or any other message from a preacher that's preaching the true word of God, then you, and you end up in hell, it's not his fault. It's not God's fault. Jesus made a way for you to escape that terrible place. No one fault but yours. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we see the coming of the sovereign, number one. Secondly, the celebration of the saints. Then we see the cursing of the sinner. Notice verse 46. The Bible says there in Matthew 25 and verse number 46, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Notice, notice what is hell? Well, number one, hell is a place of separation. The phrase depart from me indicates it's a place of separation, not annihilation. The worst part of hell will not be the fire. Now, it'll be terrible. Don't misunderstand me. But the worst part of hell is separation from God and from everyone forever. The worst pain that Jesus endured on the cross was not the nails, wasn't the thorns. It wasn't the beating. It was when the sins of the world was laid upon him, his own father turned his back upon his son. That was the action by God the Father that made Jesus say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Hell is separation, first of all. Secondly, it's a place of condemnation. Notice the two words, you cursed. I look at that, and to me it means no second chance. No do-overs. You have a woman going to a beauty parlor, getting a do-over. She comes out, and her hair looks different, her face looks different. I mean, she's just a new makeover. You don't get to do this over. John 3.18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Hell is a place of excruciation. Everlasting fire, the Bible says there in that last verse. You say, I don't believe in hell. I don't care what you believe in. God says there are hell. Yep. Yeah. And just because you say you don't believe it doesn't do away with hell. Right. It's still there and it's still hot. And it's still, you're still going to go there if you're not a Christian. Yeah. You say, I don't believe God would send someone to a place of eternal fire. Well, God's really not sending you there. God has given you a choice when He sent His Son to die upon the cross. And you accept His death as payment for your sin, or you will wind up in hell. Frying like a sausage. You say, I don't like that. Well, I can't help it. That's the way it is. A lot of people send themselves to hell by rejecting the offer of salvation. Let me show you how stupid that is. You're out there in the middle of a lake, and I'm out there in my motorboat, which I don't have, but I'm out there tooling around. Yeah, it's a beautiful day, and I just want to be out outdoors and in my boat. And I see you out there going, hey, help, I'm drowning, I'm drowning, I'm drowning. So I motor over you, throw you out a life preserver, and you just lay there in the water. <laughs> what do you want me to do, come put it around you? I mean, you can curse me if you want to for being there, 
And a lot of people are doing that to God. They're cursing God. Listen, it's all up to you. After I throw that life preserver to you, it's up to you. It's your choice. Do you take that life preserver? Do you push it away? Jesus has died for your sins. Do you accept that sacrifice or do you push it away? I'm afraid many times we push it away once and twice and three times and four times and five times. And finally God says, that's enough. That's enough. I'm not going to give you any more chances. Everlasting fire. I can't even imagine that. But it's your choice. Jesus did what was necessary to keep us out of hell. If we'll grab on to the life preserver that he has thrown our way. Again, would a loving God send somebody to hell? No, the loving God sent his son to take our hell for us to die in our place. But he's not just a God of love. He's a perfect, sinless, holy God, so pure and holy that he cannot look upon sin or have sin in his presence. No sin can be allowed into heaven, so we must be forgiven of our sin. I don't see what that's so hard to comprehend. A lot of people, the old devil says, nah, put it off, put it off, put it off. You're young yet, put it off, put it off. I have had a lot of funerals the last 42 years, but I've had enough funerals that I can remember some young people, teenagers and even younger, that has died and I have officiated the funeral service and seen them put in the grave. Revelation 21, 27 says, And there shall no wise enter into heaven anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worth the abomination, nor maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will meet their doom. Trumpets will sound. All the dead shall rise. Righteous meet in the skies. Going where no one dies. Heaven are bound. Jesus is coming. Are you ready? Are you saved? If not, you need to get saved. Jesus is coming. Christian, be watching. Don't be surprised. Read your Bible. You'll see that the time is near. Be found faithful when Jesus returns. Jesus is coming. Be witnessing. Share the good news with others who need to be saved. Jesus is coming. Be working. We're saved to serve, not just to sit soak and sour. What would Jesus do with you? I begin to think about a kind of a proverb or motto that a lot of people live by. Now, I preached on this years ago. The proverb or the saying is, one life to live will soon be passed. All what's done for Jesus will last. I looked at that and I thought about that again this week. There's four things that's mentioned there in that little proverb, and it's all scriptural. First of all, life is single, one life to live. You only got this one life. Oh, would it be nice if we could say, you know, God, I didn't do too good in this life. We wouldn't do any better in the second life. I'll be honest with you. We wouldn't do a bit better if we could live it all over again. It cannot be changed, added, or taken away from. If you make a mistake the first time around, It'd be nice to be able to come back and do something or try something else. That's the devil's big lie. Saddam Hussein believed he was Nebuchadnezzar. He was nothing but a thug and a murderer. Life is a one-way street, not a merry-go-round. You can't get on and get off wherever you want to. Hebrews 9.27 says, The point unto men wants to die, but after this the judgment. It doesn't say we'll die again and again and again and again. A lot of people believe, like I said earlier, reincarnation. Or you know that you will, will um, never, never die. Or when you die, you'll be annihilated. If I had to do over again, I don't know how many times I've heard that expression. Yeah. Somebody said, if I had it all to do over again, 
Maybe Adam told Eve that. If I had it all do over again, he'd do the same thing. Somebody said, well, I wouldn't do what Adam did. Yes, you would. <laughs> We're flesh just like he was. Life doesn't have a rewind button. You used to have a man that lived up on Sea Highway, and Reg probably know who I'm talking about. But anyway, he, the television been out for years, but instant replay came. And he was watching a ball game one day, and somebody stole second base from first. And they showed the instant replay, and he said, well, look at that. He did it again. <laughs> uh, you know who I'm talking about. I won't tell you the guy's name. He's dead and gone. But a lot of people think, you know, maybe I can do it over again. No, get it right. When we get saved, we're right, and we're not right until then. Amen. You don't get to do it over again. We all have regrets. We don't get to do it over again. We don't have a go-back system. We don't have a restore system. It'd be nice if we did. At 12 midnight tonight, you and I will forever have written the final history of our life for today. And you can't change one minute of it. We shall not pass this way again. Life is single. There's only one life to live. Life is short. Till soon be passed. Life is brief. James 4, 14. Whereas you're not, what should be on tomorrow? What is your life? You know, vapor will appear for a little time and then vanisheth away. And the Bible says in Hosea 13, verse 3, Therefore they shall be as a morning cloud. As the early dew that passes away, as the chaff is driven with the whirlwind out of the floor, and as the smoke out of the chimney. Psalm 102, verse 11 says, My days are like a shadow that declineth, I am withered like grass. A lot of examples the Bible gives about how, how sudden and how short life really is. Life's like a vapor. James 4, 14. Yesterday morning, Ramona and I went out on the porch, and uh, she had bought some flowers the other day, and I got some roses there that I tried to take care of, and she got flowers that hangs everywhere that I knock my head on when I go do something. <laughs> and she said, boy, it's foggy out here. I said, yeah, but it'll lift after a while. Sure enough, sun come out, burn through the fog. Life's like a vapor, like a fog, vanishes away. Life is like a flower that's cut down, Psalms 103, verse 15. Life is like the morning mist, Psalm chapter 90. You can go out there and the, it looks like it's rain on the ground, and yet it's just dew. Give it a few hours, the dew will dry up, and you can go ahead and mow your yard. Life is like the smoke out of a chimney. Life is like a shadow that fades away. Life is single. Life is short. Life is suspect. By that I mean life is doubtful. It's uncertain. It's questionable. Right, you know what's going to be on tomorrow, James 4, 14. Right, you know what's going to be on tomorrow. For what is your life? You know, vapor will appear for a little time and vanishes away. Take a look at any cemetery. A few months ago, I went up to the cemetery where my first wife was buried. And Ridge, I've got, we've got a lot of family on that row. I walked down that row of, of graves. I saw an uncle, your uncle, my uncle, that died two years of age with pneumonia. And Grandma and Grandpa Kelly was so sick they couldn't go to the funeral. Pneumonia swept through this country, killed a lot of people. And then I've got a, a nephew there, my brother's son, that drowned in the bathtub. He's probably two and a half or three years old. Drowned in the bathtub. Phone rung. The mother went and answered the phone. She said, I got to go back. My son's in the bathtub. She got back in there and he drowned. And then, you know, there's 
my wife in there. She was 68 when she passed away. My mom and dad are there. Dad was 66 and mom was 73, I think, 83. I'm not for sure how old she was when she passed away. But you can just go down through there, person after person after person. Death is no respecter of age. Death is no respecter of position. Important people die as well as insignificant people. Death is no respecter of money. The rich man died, and I think he had a huge funeral. I mean, they had important speakers, probably lasted all day long. Probably had a huge tombstone. But you know what? He was dead just the same. And the Bible said that the beggar died. I doubt he was even buried. Probably taken down to the uh, garbage dump and, and burned. But if he was buried, it was in the, at the potter's field. Probably no funeral at all. Life is single. Life is short. Life is suspect. Life is all so serious. What's done for Jesus will only last. What are you going to be doing 25 years from now? Yeah. If the Lord hasn't come. What are you going to be doing 25 years from now? 25 years from now, I'll be over 100 years old. I'll be pushing up daisies, what I'll be doing. Some of you will too. You're as old as I am or older. What will you be doing 35 years from now? Some of you young people need to think about this. What will you be doing 35 years from now? Even if you're newly married, you could live for another 35 years. If you're in your 30s, I just put you in your 60s. So, what are you going to be doing 75 years from now? What are you going to be doing? Well, we don't know, do we? Our life is like a cup of water that's taken and dumped in the ocean. We look at the cup of water when they'll be looking at the ocean. Think about what I said. Our life is like a cup of water that's take, taken and dumped in the ocean and we look at the cup of water instead of the ocean. Paul, Paul said this, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Amen. Paul lived a life, I think, if anybody lived a life with no regrets, it was Paul. I mean, he loved the Lord. When he got struck down on the road to Damascus and God took care of him and saved him, I mean, he began to work for Jesus and he didn't stop until his life ended. Where are you placing your emphasis on life? Many place their emphasis on wealth. They labor more and more to enjoy it less and less. I read an article on Elvis Presley this week. He had fame, fortune, and females. They lived a life of folly and died a suicidal death. Now, some try to picture him as a Christian. I'm not trying to judge him. I don't know his heart, okay? Maybe when he's laying on the floor there in the bathroom, maybe he called out to Jesus. Jesus said, for whosoever shall call upon me, I'll, I'll come to him. But first of all, you've got to be drawn by the Holy Spirit of God. You can't just pick your time to be saved. Amen. If you think you're going to wait till you draw your last breath to be saved, you're going to be sadly mistaken when that time comes. Yeah. But some try to picture him as a Christian. I'm glad I'm not the judge. Most of the time, you die like you live. I want you to think about that. Elvis's mansion lives on. I've been to it. It, I didn't think it was anything great myself, but Elvis's money lives on. Somebody else is spending it. He's not. Elvis's songs live on. You can turn on the radio and love me tender, love me sweet. 
You can, you, you can hear a lot of his songs. You know I sound like Elvis, did you? <laughs> Elvis's memory lives on. Elvis will not pass this way again. His life is over. Frank Sinatra was called the chairman of the board. There's a man that lived hard and fast and died the same way. Buried with him in his casket was a pack of cigarettes and a bottle of Jack Daniels. His trademark was, I did it my way. If he did it his way, he's in hell today. Amen. You got to do it, hit Jesus' way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Amen. You don't do it your way. He may have gone his way, but never passed this way again. Many place their emphasis on wealth. Some place it on health. No matter how healthy you are, you're gone. I pray for your pastor every day. You know what I pray for him for? He would maintain his health. When I was your age, I didn't have any health problems. But a few years ago, in 2019, in the, in the month of June, my health began to fail. And it hasn't got better since. And so I, you know what I know? I know I'm on my way out. I don't know when. But one of these days, Jesus is going to take me out of here and take me to heaven. But I pray, your, your pastor will be 70 years old here, what, next month? I pray that God would keep him healthy. It'll make a difference whether he can pastor a church or not and preach the way he's preaching now. Amen. You've got to have your health. Some depend on their wealth, some on their health. No matter how healthy you are, you're a goner. Some place their emphasis on sports. Oh, I get so tired of looking at Facebook and here's my trophy. Yeah. Dying and headed for hell, but they've got that trophy. Yeah. Yeah. Swimming trophy, basketball trophy, football trophy, baseball trophy. Now, I'm not saved, don't know Jesus. Yeah. But the most important thing for my child is to have that trophy. Yep. One injury away from being the water boy. I'm not going to pass this way again. I have one life to live. I don't have two or three. I have one voice. That's why I ask people to pray for my voice. I want to use what voice I have for Him. I have one mind. Some people would doubt that, but I do have a mind. Sometimes I don't use it properly. But I want to use it for Him. I want to put the emphasis on Jesus Christ. One life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I found this little saying, and I'm going to quit. Some men die by shrapnel. Some go down in flames. Most men perish inch by inch, playing little games. What little games are you playing today? What games are you playing with God? Are you saying, God, I'm, I'm going to play this game. I think about a lot of time. Uh, I remember my first great-grandchild that was born. Was still born. Joshua's little girl. He called me up. Matter of fact, the little baby was born while we were headed to the hospital, Myra and I. And he called me up and said, Papa, I said, our baby's dead. I got to the hospital and they were holding a little old baby there. And of course, no life. It was dead, premature. They said, Papa, will you do the funeral? I said, yeah, I'll do the funeral. That's what you want. Buried a little baby down by Thayer down there in a little cemetery out in the country. 
I don't forget the little casket. Joshua carried the little casket and laid it in the, in the grave there. They began to fill the grave in. I thought, you've got to be kidding me. My first great-grandchild, and I've got to bury her. Life is short. That little baby you ladies are holding in your hands and rocking back and forth, I pray that baby will live and have a good Christian life. But we don't know. Had a postmaster up at Mansfield. Her son and, and his wife had a little baby. And the doctors tried to save it. And they told him, said, we can't save the baby. But said, it'll live for probably 30 minutes or so. Said, you want to hold it, you better get to hold it now. She called me up. She said, Danny, she said, I need you to, to do the service, if you will. Just a great size service. I said, that's fine. I'll help you. And she said, I remember holding that little baby. She said, I was holding the little baby when it died. Daddy got to hold it. Mama got to hold it. Grandma got to hold it. Some other people around there, a family got to hold it. She said, I was holding the baby when it died. Don't go out of here thinking everything's going to be okay by the end of the day. It may not be. December the 7th, I, I was sitting at the hospital bed beside my first wife, Myra. We're like three months, been married 52 years. I loved her. I still do. But I love her Mona too. I didn't think that could happen, but it can. I told Emily, and my sister Judy was there, and Michaela, another granddaughter. And I, I told them, I said, Myra won't last to the end of the day. And the granddaughter said, how do you know that? I said, her breathing has changed. Now, her heart was strong. Until her heart stopped, it was strong. Exactly 10 o'clock that night. Her heart stopped and the meter flatlined. She was gone. Gone to be with Jesus. Gone to be with my Lord. A chaplain come in, the good man, I appreciate him so much. He come in, wanted to pray with me. I said, go right ahead, pray. He said, do whatever you need to do. I went down to the nurse's desk there and made a few arrangements where to take her body and so forth. I went back and I said, I'm going home. Judy said, wait a minute and I'll drive you. I said, no, I'm going myself. You go home to your family. Judy's my sister. I got in the car and I drove home. I didn't think I'd live. As a matter of fact, my prayer for years had been, Lord, let me live long enough to take care of her. I guess I thought that after she died, 15 minutes later, I'd follow her. That didn't happen. God let me live. People kept saying, God's not done with you yet. I guess he's not. I'm still here. <laughs> I hope you never have to experience that. Some of you already have. Some of you have already experienced that. It's not easy. There's no fun to it. 
but I have an assurance with my Savior where she's at. And if I should die today, I want you all to know I'm with Jesus. I'm with Him. Don't weep and wail for me. I'll be better off than you are. I'll be better off than you are. I'd like for you to stand this morning if you would. And I don't know, Pastor, maybe you want, need to come at this time. I don't know what you want to do about an invitation. But listen, folks, if you, need, if you need to come and pray, if you need to be saved, just step out. You need to come and talk to God about something. Maybe your children. Maybe your home got a problem. Just step out and come and pray. You don't need me to guide you by the hand. Just come and pray.